0: Welcome to the Jesus for All People podcast, a podcast by First Christian Church.
1: Well, hey, welcome to episode two of the Jesus for All People podcast. Woo! I'm sitting here with Jimmy <laughs> and Charlotte, uh, and today we are talking about creativity, and so really excited to get into this conversation and. Uh, you might be wondering why creativity. What does this have to do with anything? And uh, we are in this, the midst of a series called "At the Movies" right now, uh, here at FCC. And, and we just thought this could uh, this could be a little a little bit of fun to talk about creativity and does it matter and what does it mean if you're not creative and and all of all of that. And so, uh, first and foremost, you guys doing all right? Yeah. Yeah. Doing good? Yeah. How you doing? Okay, good. I just found out a few minutes ago, Charlotte, that you wake up most days at like three in the morning.
2: Yes, I do. Well, to be fair, it's like two or three days a week, but okay. you know, yeah. it's not great.
1: Are you an early morning guy, Jim? No. 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 I don't want to know people
0: before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sleep in. Yeah. No, I'm no kinda... it's a lot of coffee and a lot of uh, alone time gets me through the mornings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a that's a good way of saying it. I'm I'm probably very similar. I don't know. I'm not the person that's like angry in the morning, mm-hmm. you know those people? But yes. I'm also not I don't know. I I'm yeah. Give me like a good 30 minutes. And I'm ready to go. So uh, speaking of that, let's talk about creativity. Let's talk about creativity. So uh, a few things just, we're just going to roll right through this and I'm, I'm excited. We're going to uh, interview a, an old friend of mine uh, later, uh, a guy named Chris, and I'll, I'll set that up in a little bit. But um, let me just start with this question. And I don't know, I, I was like, I think this is... Uh, uh, an, an interesting question. Is everyone creative in some way?
0: Hmm. That's a good question.
1: Is I everyone, think so. like, because we all know that some people just don't lean that way right. mostly, but is there in some way, shape, or form, does everyone have like a
0: creative bone? What yes. do you guys think? I think so. Yeah. Why do you think that? I just think sometimes we don't see it as much because we think of creativity the way that we define it for ourselves. I went deep. Yeah, I went deep early in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I think, like, like when I think of creative, you know, creativity, I look for it in other people the way I look, I see it in myself. Right. But everybody's creative in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So, Charlotte, how would you say, like, how does creativity manifest itself in your life? Are um, you naturally a creative or are you more.
2: So, that's a really good question. Um, I, I used to think that um, I wasn't creative. Uh, because I, f- I I think I used to think that creativity, someone who is creative was someone who is like exponentially better at something than most people, whether it's painting, writing, singing. Um, but I think creativity is really important for self-expression. Um, and so for me, like yeah, absolutely it I um, in writing, the way that I articulate thought, um, it has a lot to do with like why I'm a communications major. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me just, is how I express my own creativity. Mm-hmm.
1: What about? So you work at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think there's a creative aspect to yeah. that, or is it oh just gosh, like absolutely. put this much in, pull yeah. this lever? Do no, this?
2: we uh, we spend a lot of time. We get ingredients right, and mm-hmm. we just make things. Mm-hmm. So recently, someone that I work with. Um, she made, like, a chocolate Frappuccino, no coffee in it, and she took one of our little, like, containers of cream cheese and blended it in with the chocolate Frappuccino, and it tasted like a Frosty. Like, not even a joke, like, it tasted like a Wendy's Frosty. It was so cool.
1: (laughs) Um, When I was in high school, I worked at Arby's. Yes, <laughs> right. I, I, I had two. Just so no, I know, I had two ideas for restaurants that I would someday start. Mm-hmm. One was going to be called School Pizza Palace okay. because uh, in high school I loved the <laughs> rectangle oh <my> pizzas <laughs> with the diced cube pepperoni yeah. on it. And then my other idea was Ryan's Roast Beef Shack, <laughs> which was a spin. It was a, these, <laughs> these are the two most <laughs>
0: mediocre restaurant ideas I've
1: ever heard. It was a spin <laughs> off of Arby's, but so what I would do when I worked at Arby's, which by the way. was the worst employee ever um i would always mix up multiple times i mixed up the apple turnovers with the cherry turnovers and so people would get the wrong one i also um there's a conversation another day i mopped a table one time in front of customers (laughs) 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 i almost got fired over that um and uh yeah but i would like always try to create little little things kind of like what you're saying and and I would come up with recipes for
0: some day mm-hmm. when I open the roast beef shop. I'm hearing you talk about this, and I'm remembering a, a podcast. So I listened to this podcast. So I know you listen to this, Ryan, called How I Build This. Uh-huh. And I listened to the one by the guy who started Chipotle. Okay. And he talked about it. how his dream was, like, he grew up, like, working in fast food. But his dream was to launch, like, this incredible, like, gourmet restaurant. And his mm-hmm. way to do it was to start Chipotle and make money to start his restaurant. Yeah. And now I'm listening to that through the lens of, like, the school pizza. No, yeah, no. You were dreaming big when you were yeah. in high school. no
1: people people know if you grew up with the rectangle school pizzas <laughs> with the cubed pepperonis yeah. are so good. Davis, you're shaking your head. He
0: agrees. Okay. Silent Davis at the end of the table. Yeah.
1: No, they're so good. I love those things. Um all right. Well, we talked beforehand that Jimmy, you were gonna lead these
0: questions, but now I feel like I am. So why don't you ask <laughs> the second question? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I this is well, first of all, Ryan, how do you define creativity? I mean, we've kind of talked about that, but like, do you think everybody's creative? Like, yeah, I think I agree like with what you guys
1: are saying. I think in some way, shape, or form, whether it's um whether it's someone who is uh you know, likes to experiment on the grill, or it's someone who Obviously, isn't like an artist or a musician. That's mm-hmm. an easy way to kind of pinpoint. I think that, like deep down in us, there is that part that, that God put there. And for some, it's more; for others, it's less. But I think it, I do think um, I don't know. I think it's like it's something that we all tap into in some way, shape, or form. And it doesn't have, like I said, it doesn't have to be as extreme as as others uh, might show it. Does that make sense, right? Yeah. Right, well, why is it important? Uh, because I don't know, I was thinking about this. We we were all born as creative beings, like so. I have a you know, little kids, and uh, my five year old is he can make anything mm-hmm. like a toy, and we were all that way at one point. And so, there's again, there's something like in our spirit, in our soul, that I think if we um, if we don't like use it or harness it or grasp it in some way, shape, or form, uh, I, I think it it can lead to kind of like a, and this might sound extreme, but like an incomplete reality. It, it, maybe that's extreme, but like if you're if if all you do and again, it could show itself in so many ways. Like some, some folks love charts and graphs and that kind of stuff and creating right. those. That, there's a creative aspect to that. Like you're putting it in place and you're, you want it to look good and you're moving this here and moving this here. And So um, I don't know. I think that if you're not tapping into it in whatever way you can, uh, according to your wiring, it can kind of leave you feeling – like if all you do is get up in the morning, drive to work – go to your your job and there's not a lot of creative outlet there and then you're you know you're coming home and you're just helping kids with homework and and at no point in your entire existence are you ever doing something that feeds that part of you i Mm -hmm. think it can just become
0: and maybe this is harsh but kind of like a, a boring less colorful life well and if we're all creative in different ways and i think there are a lot of different ways that creativity manifests itself like if that's true then you know, if we were all creative, for example, like when I think about the importance of creativity, if we were all creative in the same way, then life would be so boring, right? Right, if right. Everybody was just like a good painter mm-hmm. and then there'd be cool paintings everywhere, but nobody would be creative like in some other way, right. you right. know what I mean? So when I think about the importance of creativity, I think about the importance of the diversity of creativity mm-hmm. and all the different ways that people are creative. For sure. <laughs> what, uh, so like Charlotte, what, how is creativity like, how are you creative?
2: Um, I would say um, I really love um, journaling. I love creative writing, and I didn't really know that until, like, this past year. Um, but, like, so many people tell me, like, oh, you articulate thoughts so well. And I think I kind of for a long time was like, oh, well, that's just a nice compliment. But really once you hear it enough, you know, and you start believing in yourself, you really start – being able to draw inspiration from things to be able to, you know, actually produce something. And I think the importance of, like, realizing your own creativity and what you can do with it is it, the product that you get is like a tangible, right, product of your imagination or of your ideas. Mm-hmm. And that, like you were saying, like, without creativity, you live a less colorful life. But I think it also, like, it provides you with a sense of fulfillment. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that that is incredibly important to a lot of people. It should be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Like, uh, obviously, I mean, people know like you—you <laughs> you write and you speak and mm-hmm. things like that. But are there creative elements th- about you that maybe people wouldn't know about? Uh, I.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a, uh, actually a, a fairly creative person. Um, I. Yeah, like I view writing uh, messages, I'm not the person who, like I, I was talking with um, with a friend of mine here recently, like I, I view writing messages as like a, like a craft almost, and so for me, I'm thinking like, all right, what story, like I love the art of storytelling, what story fits here, how can I move this here, um, like I can't. I can't sit down at Charlotte's Starbucks <laughs> and with my laptop and just manuscript it out. Like, like Jimmy's seen this. A lot of people see it. Like, I just have a big whiteboard in my office, and it's just a lot of scribbling and crossing things out and moving this here, and and that's what my messages look like. And so there's like for me, that's kind of a, an artistic thing. But um, I I love like music. Um, and i've started like don't laugh but like i've started to like dabble into like trying to like write songs here and there again and playing my guitar um you know here or there and so yeah i think that there are i grew up like loving to draw and sketch and um and so the and the cool thing is a dad too there's so many outlets for that you know because they're like constantly that's just their world is imagination so yeah, that's
0: what it looks like in, in my life. How about you? Uh, my, I was thinking about this, like, when you uh, sent these notes the other day, and the first thing that came to mind, this is such a nerdy thing. I don't even know why I'm going to say this. But, like, when I was a kid, um, I, used to, I was, like, fascinated with, uh, like, the idea of having, like, a radio station. For some reason, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So I would set up in our living room, I would take our stereo and I'd set it up with like our baby monitor and I would like broadcast music around the house. And I thought that <laughs> was like That's so really cool. cool. I was like five or six years old and I'd like set it all up <laughs> and I'd like run to the other room to make sure my mom was listening on the other end of the baby <laughs> monitor. And get all really offended cool. if she wasn't. But like years later, like, that got me really fascinated with, like, music and equipment and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And years later, like, I operated a, a recording studio for a while. So, mm-hmm. like, that was the beginning of something that really, like, took root in my life and grew yeah. into something significant. And then, like, music came out of that. And mm-hmm. and so that led me to this idea, like, um, if, if creativity is important, and I, I think it is, I think it's an outlet, you know. It, it gives us ways, like you said, Charlotte, to express ourselves and things like that. Um, it's, it's difficult as we get older to be creative because our time gets sucked up with things that aren't necessarily, I mean, some people I think are fortunate to work in areas where they, they love what they do or they're passionate Mm -hmm. about it. And it's an expression of their creativity, but some people can't. And it's just like work is a grind. You got, Mm -hmm. you got families and kids and things to do. And so your time just goes away and maybe creativity, like time to be creative comes at a premium if you have any at all. Mm -hmm. So, is it important? Like, is that something that you guys think people should strive to be? It should should people strive to carve out that time to be creative? Like, how, how do you see that um, as – would you say it's something that people should be trying hard to do? Is it important in that way?
2: Yeah, actually, um, when you sent me these notes, I really – I started doing a little bit of research about, like, why is creativity important? Because I think it is, but really, mm-hmm. why is it? Um, <clears throat> and what I read, I found an article – Um, That said something along the lines of creativity is necessary to really, like, keep your critical thinking skills, like, strengthened, you know, Mm. um, opening your mind to possibilities, opportunities, and it can really help you, like, manifest the ability to see life as, like, more glass half full. And I think that that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, that is.
1: Yeah. No, I, I definitely think people should strive in some, again, in some form. Again, some people are wired more creatively mm-hmm. than others. But I think there is that part in everyone. I know we keep saying that. There is that part in everyone that should be um, uh, sort of uh, found in some way. And so I, I do. Like, that's really powerful what you just said, Charlotte. Like, I think everyone should strive to tap into some sort of creativity, um, whatever that looks like in your life. Mm-hmm. So, again, whether it's it's something that isn't as traditionally mm-hmm. creative or it's something that's overtly creative, writing poetry or mm-hmm. whatever. Like I think that it does. It brings, and I think it also it taps like a different part of your soul, you know. Which is, uh, you know, that's important. That's well, and that really
0: important. goes that goes to another thing that you know. Obviously, God is creative. You know, mm-hmm. we look around at, at creation and like you see that everywhere. So. Right. You know Absolutely. if if we're created in God's image and He's creative, then creativity is a part of us. So that kind of that brought me to this thought and I'm interested to see you know what you guys think about this. I'll throw you a little bit of a curveball. Um, what you know understanding that that's a part of who we are and how we're wired up like what responsibility do you think um, the church has to give people outlets for creativity? It's a great
2: that's a really good question. Yeah,
0: it's a great question. I mean, we think about, like, creative arts, right? People uh-huh. that can play music can get up front on Sunday and, and mm-hmm. can play, or maybe there are other things like that. But outside of just the softball answer, like, how would you – I don't know. What do you think?
1: Man, um, responsibility is the word that's, like, kind of catching me. Something I'm thinking, like, is it the church's responsibility <laughs> to help people tap into their creative side? And I, I don't know that,
0: that I would say that. What I'd if we say, said opportunity? Okay. Do, do you okay. see an opportunity for the church to help people express their creativity in different ways? Mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah, absolutely I do. And and again, for people that are part of FCC, I think most people know that we do try pretty hard um, to create different ways for people to catch or... Um, Sort of grab onto whatever the message is that's being taught that day, whether it's you know a special song that's played or a video that we created or, or whatever. And so, um, all that to say, it takes a lot of people to pull that off. And so, we use um, we use all sorts of volunteers on on a on a creative level to pull that stuff off. So, I think that definitely the church should create opportunities and. Um, yeah, I think the church should definitely create opportunities. I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't say it's the responsibility of the church, but I would, like the responsibility of the church is to, you know, preach Jesus and and um, create community and that kind of stuff. But I definitely think churches should uh, do everything they can to create opportunities for that.
2: Do you know someone who could use a little hope? If you've been around FCC at all this summer, you know that following each service, we've been collecting spare change and dollar bills as people head out the door. This fall, we're using that money, all of it, to bless a few families or individuals from the church that just need a little, well, hope. Maybe they've been overwhelmed by medical expenses. It could be that they're desperate for a car to get to and from work. Maybe it's a single mom that could use help with child care. Take a moment to nominate an individual by emailing us at hope at firstchristian.com and simply tell us their story. Again, that's hope at firstchristian.com.
1: In light of our conversation on creativity, all right, we're going to do some rapid fire. We're calling this segment The The Goat. Goat. All right, and so here's here's what this is. If, if people aren't familiar, I think most people are at this point. But it's acronym Greatest of All Time, and a lot of times this is used in reference to um, to sports. I feel like often, like LeBron versus Jordan, that's not what we're doing today. Okay, <laughs> so I'm gonna rapid fire. Just Because that's obvious. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, George. so we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Uh, I'm just gonna throw different creative types of things at you, and you have to tell me. Just off the top of your head, Jimmy and Charlotte, and maybe I'll interject on a couple, who you think the GOAT is in that particular creative category, uh, all right? So we're going to do this We really don't quick. know these. Just you don't so know these. Don't I think a couple, these are we gonna kinda, be. I gave you a little heads up, but some of these, you're just going to have to, and you just got to go. You just got to right. do it, all right? So here we go. This Here's, is pressure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll start. We'll go Charlotte first, then Jimmy. All right. So here we go. Uh, remember, this is the greatest, in your opinion, all right? So... The greatest band slash musician?
2: Death Cab for Cutie.
0: Dave Matthews Band. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. Starting off with a (laughs) band. Okay, okay. I'm going to see how many times I can make Ryan groan during this segment. Literally my least
1: favorite band of all time is Dave Matthews Band. But I do love Death Cab.
0: Good choice. Okay.
1: Uh, Greatest poet of all time?
2: Uh, 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 um, My Angelo
0: dr seuss
1: okay <laughs> uh greatest painter of all time
2: uh, picasso
0: i don't know painters i've been trying to this one i knew about 10 minutes yeah. ago and i have not been able to think of a painter i'd have to google They'd it get better okay greatest pastry chef of all time oh my gosh
1: charlotte the guy on the cake boss
3: Oh, Nobody buddy. knows that. Nobody knows his name. Knows buddy. His name's name Buddy. Yeah.
1: Uh, how about Abby? That is the perfect how name for a pastry. You should say.
0: You should say Abby Coons. <laughs> I'm gonna say. Oh yeah, good one. Yeah. I was gonna say Diane. Throw her a, a high five. Abby or Diane, either. Yep. Yeah, we'll okay. say both because Abby. Jimmy's will be mad assistant at me has it. like a
1: side side yeah. thing where she does pastry. Perfect. Okay. Greatest graphic designer of all time.
2: I my cousin Mike. I don't Jake Muller.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, greatest photographer of all time. Brad Heaton. Pete Souza. This one's a little easier. Oh, I had a good
0: answer for that one. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, greatest author. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk. I'm going to say I like Donald Miller. Okay. I'm just a fan.
1: Okay. I think my favorite
0: author is Anne Lamott. I think she's my
1: favorite. Well, hey, I'm excited because uh, one of my old buddies, uh, Chris Sly, is uh, we're going to interview him in just a second here, and um, I met Chris years ago we worked at a church uh, out in Colorado together but a little bit of his story um, before we throw to the interview Chris um, Chris was on American Idol I think in the sixth season he finished 10th on American Idol and uh, which meant like the top 10 get to go on the tour mm-hmm. and do all that mm-hmm. and that kind of launched him into like a contemporary Christian music um, career for a while. And so uh, I called Chris out and was like, hey, man, can you just talk to us about creativity for a little bit and kind of what your process is like? And also, if you could, give us a little bit of dirt behind the scenes (laughs) on what it was like to be on the most, arguably maybe like the most viewed television show of all time. Is that? I think that's safe to say. Yeah. So, and season six, season... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> season <laughs> 6, uh, I believe, was also the most viewed season on American Idol. Okay. So, yeah. So, anyways, here's um, here's my interview with Chris. Uh, well, hey, dude. Uh, again, thank you so much. I thought we could kind of start out by maybe uh, just going back, telling people how you and I met, uh, just for a second. Um, but yeah, we went, we, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I don't know that you and I have, have like actually talked. We text every now and then or Facebook every now and then or whatever, but I don't think we've actually talked since probably since Colorado. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah. I think I've heard your dulcet tones. Um, I um, I check out videos every now and then um, uh, you know, you on, you, on the web. But um, but yeah, dude, it's good to actually talk to you. It's been what, like five five years yeah, or something, at least.
1: Years. So one of the things that um, people probably know you best for or know your name because of is you were on American Idol which seems like like so long ago now, and I know they just had a resurgence of it, but you were on American Idol like in its heyday. I was thinking about right. like in its heyday. It was the sixth season, right?
3: Yeah, season six was actually the most viewed. I don't know that people think it was the best, um, but it was the most viewed season of American Idol. Um, so yeah, it, we were at the Literally at the apex, and then it kind of slowly slid down in ratings uh, from there.
1: Yeah, but uh, again, that was like that was like the prime of Idol. So that was still Paula and Simon and uh, and Randy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So just for our listeners here on our podcast like do you have any I, i'm not listening i'm not looking for dirt okay but do you have any uh like any good stories what's it like behind the scenes of the most popular reality show in the country at the time
3: well i think um american idol was different than a lot of reality shows and that they didn't really focus like they didn't have cameras on us all the time it was literally right. just Hey, we're going in to meet with Gwen Stefani, so, you know, tell her how much you love her music, and then she's going to help you learn how to sing your song better. Right. But in reality, you would work with your coach, you know, all week long, and the, you know, Saturday was the day that we met with celebrities, and, and you go in and you meet with the celebrity, and, um, you know, and you're with them for maybe 10 minutes, you know, 15 minutes tops, And, and so really it's very different. You know, I think the voice has kind of done this thing now where they, you spend a lot of time with the celebrity guests. That -hmm. was not the way it was with American Idol. So, um, it was just a little bit different in the sense that, um, you know, it was really, um, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was not really a reality show. It really was just about like, let's get you on stage. Let's have you, you know, sing your song. And then, we'll do the, you know, the day that we send somebody home, we'll make you embarrass yourself by doing a dumb dance
1: number, (laughs) you know? I remember that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. So that was kind of the, that was kind of the thing, you know, probably the, the, not the dirt, but the thing that was probably the, it was a really fun experience. You know, you're on the biggest show on television. You're right next to dancing with the stars. So like we were in the same studio as dancing with the stars. So, you would see all the people from you know from that show also and Ryan Seacrest was huge but but it actually I tell people that it was a lot of fun but it actually was super super boring yeah because this is pre smartphone days <laughs> like we got we got um you know we got our um our iPhones on that tour that summer so when we were on the show they have all these fairness rules where basically if one person has to be at the studio at seven o'clock in the morning for a voice lesson, everyone has to go at seven o'clock in the morning. And if one person's there till 11 o'clock at night, everyone has to stay till 11 o'clock at night. So you're talking about like, I mean, there were days where we had like 16, 17 hour days and you're literally just sitting around a studio doing nothing. Yeah. And so it was just, they, you know, they're like, it's TV. You just sit you know, it's hurry up and wait. And that is, that is the truth. You know, the large majority of the TV experience is literally sitting in a studio with no internet, with no nothing. Like they didn't have wireless internet. This was 2007. Right. Wireless internet. It was, so the whole experience was um, pretty boring actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of infamously, I actually watched it on YouTube the other day again. Uh, your, I don't know how else to say it. Like it was an, it was an awkward encounter. I think is the best way to say it when you made so Simon made like a comment about you, I can't remember what he said something you probably remember the exact words ingrained in your mind. you You remember which one I'm talking about. He said it was like a student show or something like that.
3: Yeah, I say mute math, and he didn't really like it, yeah, which I understand because you know having the American Idol band, which is like an r and b band right basically a gospel band yeah play mute math which is like indie rock it just yeah. it, it wasn't right right and um but anyway i sang mute math and he didn't like it and so then him and ryan had been having a spat like the whole show yeah and so I said something about, like, because he had produced an album for the Teletubbies, so I said something about the fact that an Il Devo was, like, Simon's most famous thing at the time. Uh-huh. So I was like, hey, just because I don't sound like Il Devo or Teletubbies doesn't mean that I don't have a good voice. And so then he made a joke about that I could sell, you know, that I was more like the Teletubbies.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. And then
3: and then, and then he, he said something about Seacrest being, you know, effeminate or something and then it got super awkward <laughs> it, got, it
1: gets so awkward like i was watching the video like i said just a couple days ago and uh yeah so like you could, you're a, you're a witty guy like you just like you just you, you have a witty personality and sense of humor and so uh people will uh you know he, he could say something and you're just gonna fire back like and it's you're not being ill intentioned or whatever you're just you're being silly you're being funny right but He, like, makes it—Simon makes it so awkward, and then the whole Seacrest thing gets even more awkward, and I, like, I'm sitting here—what year was that? Is that, like, 2000—what year was it? Seven. I'm sitting here 11 years later, like, still—like, I'm feeling awkward watching it on YouTube.
3: Well, try being in front of 38 million people. I I can't (laughs) even— Like, because I had said something that was pretty funny and then Randy and Paula were like, Woo-hoo! and, and yeah. that could have been like a funny moment. But then he said something about Ryan being effeminate and telling him to stay out. And so then it got really, and so I'm just like, oh man, like what well, should have been this really funny moment where it's like someone giving Simon kind of a, a taste of his own medicine right. sort of thing. Man, that backfired.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it's a. It's it's an interesting uh, clip to watch for sure. But the cool thing is, you finished that season in tenth place, so you got to go on the Idol tour. Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Ha- fact,
3: go ahead. In fact, what was interesting was I. I really didn't want to make it further than tenth because once you're on the tour, you get to do the tour. It's the same money as first place. Mm-hmm. Like you get all the same mo- all the same perks. And um, and I was planning on going back to be with my band and being in a band, and I knew that I had record deals because I had already started to talk to record companies while I was on the show. So yeah. tenth place was about all I wanted, and so it ended up being you know ended up being a really cool experience. I got to do the tour; it was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. Idol was a was a blessing and and a curse all at once. Yeah, uh, but. I've just, I've come to the conclusion that it was more of a blessing than a curse.
1: Yeah. Why do you say, why do you say a curse?
3: Well, I think, you know, I had not really watched the show. Um, American Idol just wasn't my thing, you know? Um, And so I had a friend who had talked me into going and trying out. And, and so when I, when I entered into the zeitgeist of American Idol, and that whole world, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. And so for a long time, it was really hard because I took myself, you know, right or wrong, I thought of myself as a pretty serious artist. Um, you know, I was, I just needed the shot to get over the hump. Like I had almost been signed three times mm-hmm. you know, and gotten to the place of almost having a record deal. And, um, and I just needed that shot in the arm to get it over the top. And that's why I did American Idol. Yeah. And this was back in the days when like Carrie Underwood, you know, which was, you know, uh, two seasons before me, um, she had literally never sang in public before. So like the guys that were like me that were actual professionals, I was one of the first. And so it was just as for me for years, I feel like all I talked about was American Idol and like the thing that was like I remember going and playing a church in um some, somewhere in the south and they paid me like I was doing a Christmas Eve service and it literally was the most money I've ever been paid to do music. I mm-hmm. think I got like $15,000 for Christmas Eve services. Wow. And I showed up and I'm getting ready for rehearsal and the worship pastor says to me I'm literally two albums after American Idol and they've just paid me all of this money to come and this worship pastor goes Now, have you done anything since American Idol <laughs> and I'm just like dude like I yes yeah. <laughs> yes and I and I remember just kind of like telling my wife and my manager at the time like like dude like when do I live this down like right. you know when do I get to like when do I get to have it be about something that I'm doing beyond a dumb TV show that was great and I'm thankful for? Yeah, and so I, I say it's a blessing and a curse. And for a long time, I think I I was I focused too much on the curse. Yeah, and now I'm in a cool phase of life where after five years of therapy, I'm able to focus <laughs> more on the blessing. So yeah. it's good.
1: Well, it it's kind of like that guy who or the band that writes the big song and then. You know, they have to play that song at every show for the rest of their life, and they're tired of the song. And all people want to talk about is that song.
3: We both love Counting Crows. Adam Duritz hates everything about August and everything after.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, yeah,
3: because it made them too famous all at once. You know, he he wanted to be Bruce Springsteen. And I think that that's a little bit like I, I tell people jokingly that. Uh, When you're on American Idol, you're basically a Kardashian. You're famous for being famous. Yeah. You're famous for your music. Hopefully, you can pull off a Kelly Clarkson. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I I feel like that just now, 10 years later, 11 years later, I am finally at a place where I am able to do ministry in spite of, you know, without anyone. It's, you know, American Idol is an afterthought now. And it allows me to really actually do ministry, I think, for uh, for the first time, maybe since before American Idol, in a, in a really deep way. It's really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, I bring you on and just ask you a bunch of stuff about American Idol. <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. I, I, lo- I actually enjoy talking about it now. Like, it took me 10 years, but now I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> my heart could Empty me. Of the selfishness inside. Every vain and the poison of my pride.
1: I'm so interested in people's creative process um what does that look like for you and 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 we'll talk a little bit more about what you're doing now and and you are heading back into, uh, doing shows and touring and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I would just love to hear what is that process like for you when you sit down and say, I'm, I'm going to write a song. I'm working on an album. How do you enter into that?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a songwriter for me, it takes quite a few different sorts of, um, ways um you know if i'm in a songwriting session then you're going into a songwriting session kind of cold and typically it's two or three guys in a room and you talk about you probably spend anywhere from 15 minutes depending on how well you know the people to two hours talking about life catching up talking about what God's been, you know, hitting you with lately, you know, talk about family stuff, talk about all that kind of stuff. And typically that tends to lead into writing out of life experience, trying to figure out how to write a song that says something in hopefully a fresh and interesting way. Mm -hmm. Um, now when it's me just alone, typically I'm in my studio at home and, um, I typically am starting with, um, something in like something musically, like something that I think is cool or sounds interesting or a chord progression. Um, lyrics are always the hardest, which I think would probably translate more to kind of what your, um, like music comes really, really easily for me. Mm -hmm. Lyrics, I think for everybody, um, are, are harder. Like, I mean, I just watched a thing with John Mayer where he was talking about that, you know, he can sit down and he's an idea factory when it comes to ideas for songs or musical ideas. But actually writing a lyric is... I mean, that's like craftsmanship. Like, you really have... To be a good lyricist, like, you have to be willing to do the work and the rework and the rework and the rework. And right. the rework. Yeah. So, um, So for me, I typically... When it comes to lyrics, is I, I want to have a basic idea of what flows out of me. So it's a little bit of spontaneous, you know, worship, so to speak, of this is what hits me with this melody. And then from there it's the craft of okay, how do I make this into something that is, you know, not you know, Psalm forty nine again you know mm-hmm. since that's been written a, a thousand times you sure. know um how do i write this in a way that um you know is really really honest to who you know to who i am now as an artist or you know so uh, for me it's it's honestly like the the writing of a song typically happens really really fast for me hmm. the rewriting takes forever And I mean, uh, there's been moments where literally after I have put a vocal down, I'll punch in and change three lines, you know, right before it goes to mix, because I'm kind of constantly reworking and rewriting all the way up until like, and then once it hits a seat, you know, once it hits an album, once it's mastered, then that song in my mind is done, but really not until that.
1: Because I remember back in, in the days in Colorado, I would come in and you would do some recording in your office sometimes. And, and there was just this feeling of like, uh, or at least you'd show me recordings in your office. But I felt like, man, this guy's like a perfectionist. Is that fair to say?
3: Right. Uh, so I, I think that when it comes to records that I probably at some level, like I, I feel like I'm, I have had to learn how to be more of a perfectionist because I'm not naturally... Uh, a perfectionist or a detail guy but you know after producing enough records and you get into mix and the mix engineer shames you into (laughs) realizing that you suck yeah you know yeah yeah, (laughs) like that you're not detail-oriented enough um but yeah i would say that for me like you know i do especially lyrically i think i probably um i really want to say something good But I I also am really, like, I I teach songwriting a lot now. And one of the things that I tell people a lot is, like, perfection is the enemy of great. Like, because you can have something that's really great and you think to yourself, I'm going to keep making it better. But eventually there's a law of diminishing returns, I think, when it comes to something, like, creative. Like, something that's detail-oriented, like, yes, you know, I do need to get all the pops and all the clicks and all that stuff out of, you know, a recording. That's detail. That's like, that's very technical. But when it comes to something creative, like the way that you pattern your speech, the way that you write a line, and the way that you present like a, an idea, I think that there is a law of diminishing returns. At some point, you know, I think that you begin to perfect the the beauty out of it
1: right yeah which do you prefer do you find yourself enjoying the process by yourself more you in a room with a guitar piano whatever or do you find um because i don't know people might not know this as well you wrote uh you wrote a song called here comes goodbye which was uh bought by the rascal flats and became uh literally a number one song on the billboard in country and you co-wrote that, though. So, do you find yourself um, with one other guy? And so, like, do you find yourself gravitating more towards just me in a room with a guitar? Or do you prefer to be in it with other people or a band or whatever?
3: I I love both. There are things to both that I love. Like, I love the honestly, I love the relationship of songwriting. Like, just hanging out with people that you know. And especially with some of these guys, you know, like Clint, the guy that I wrote here comes goodbye with, he and I, um, you know, when we wrote that song, we were really good friends and we hung out all the time. He, he actually co-wrote empty me. um, My biggest, uh, my biggest Christian hit. Mm -hmm. Um, He co-wrote the music for that with me. And then there's a guy named Tony Wood. There's another guy named Jason Walker. I can think of, you know, probably 10, 15 writers that, I wrote with consistently that were just really, really close friends also. Mm-hmm. So the relationship piece of that is really, really special, but for the most part, like I want the thing that I say as a songwriter and I know no one else cares about this, but it matters to me. I want the thing that I say as a songwriter that it literally is exactly how I wanted to say it, and what mm-hmm. I wanted to say. Right. And, um, and so, if you look at, you know, down through the years, probably, you know, 90, 90% 90 of my songs are written solely by Chris Sly. Um, and so, but sometimes you write a song with somebody and you're just like, this is so good, I can't pass up recording it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that there is a difference. Like, I, I probably, for my own stuff, prefer to write alone um, just because. Um, there is a certain thing that I want for Chris Sly music, you know, Chris Sly artist music to say. But man, there's something beautiful about getting in a room and writing with people that you're in a relationship with um, that's prayer, really, really cool. Hear my prayer. To you we all come Mercy At least in
1: this season now, you've moved away from, uh, I guess you'd say, vocational ministry, and you're back in uh, doing shows and and touring and that kind of stuff. So what does this season look like?
3: I know that everything that I do now is relationship-based. So if I'm going to tour again, it has to be relationship-based. I'm not saying that I won't play shows for people that I don't know, but by the end of the process, I will know this person and will be in relationship by this, with this with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want it to be about what I bring to the table. I want it to be about what, um, what I can simply do to fit into what is already going on in a local church body. Yeah so you know um and i want to be in contact so everything i do on the road is relationship based like i have guys that book for me a couple guys that book for me but literally as soon as the church says yes then it comes to me and i am in a relationship with those worship pastors those pastors those and we're talking about like hey what do you what do you need you know do you want to do a worship night or do you want me to do a concert do you mm-hmm. want me to um, you know, do you want me to do a workshop with your team? Uh, cause I, a lot of what I do is like consulting with, with churches to help them figure out how to take next steps towards, you know, whatever being better for them looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, or like in a lot of cases, not just that it's also reinforcing, sort of vision from the outside, you know, being an outside voice that reinforces vision with volunteers and, and that sort of thing. So what do you need? And so then we, we process through like what that looks like. We taught, I, I have them tell me the story of their church, how they got there. So then I have a basic understanding and a framework of what I'm, you know, stepping into every single night. I do a different set list because I'm doing worship songs that that church does. I don't just go in and go, like, here's the worship songs that I lead. Mm -hmm. Let's We're going to do these songs. I look through their song list. I pick, you know, four or five songs that uh, that are already doing well in their congregation. So that then I'm getting up and I'm stepping into what is already going on in that local body. It's not a Chris Sly show. It's literally like Chris Sly is here to be an actual, like, to actually do ministry with these people. And, um, most churches that I do this with, I'm going in and I'm playing with a church's band and some nights it's really, really bad. And some <laughs> nights it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, as far as like quality. Sure. But dude, I'm telling you, like, you know, I've played with some churches that from the outside looking in, that band is not a good band. Right. But dude, the spirit moved in really, really cool ways. Mm mm-hmm. And um, and so really, my goal is not to make people North Point. you know, mm-hmm. a church of 200 is not going to be North Point right. no matter how hard you try. So my goal is just to go, how do we take next steps and cast a vision for like how this can be better, whatever your version of better? You know, I was at a church in Mississippi and legitimately every song sounded like a third day song. like mm-hmm. you know we're doing hill song songs and They sound like a third day song. somehow, And that was the thing. And and I think in the past I would have gone in and gone, well, no, that's not how it's supposed to sound. You play this like this and you play this like that. And what was so freeing was to go like, look, no, you're doing your thing. My job is just to go, how do I, how do I help you to do, do what you're doing better? Right. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's what I'm seeing God redeem. And what's really cool about it is, um, you know, the market for Chris Sly, I would think had dried up probably five years ago because I haven't really played shows, honestly, like in gosh, I mean, it's been six years, seven mm-hmm. years, eight years, you know, since I've really played shows. So the market dried up a long time ago for for Chris Sly shows based upon American Idol, based upon, you know, empty me, there have been dozens, you know, a dozen iterations of Idol since then. And so many people have gone the Christian route. You don't need Chris Sly to come in and, um, you know, because of American Idol. So that's why when we were talking earlier, like I'm in this beautiful place where, yeah, I think people remember American Idol I have different hair now, you know, I have short <laughs> hair. I have a mohawk instead of, you know, a, an Afro. Um, and so I think that people, you know, sometimes don't remember until they see the picture of me with an Afro and they're like, Oh yeah, I totally remember you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's this beautiful sort of thing where I, I feel like what I'm seeing God do is redeem it in a way that's just like, um, that is beyond what I, what I could do on my own. Right. And really, really cool ministry is happening consistently. And so, I'm 15 shows into a 23 show tour right now. I, um, you know, by the time that this comes out, obviously, I'll be done with the tour. But, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I get home on June 4th um, from this from this tour. Um, and did like 23 shows in five and a half weeks. And most of them were worship nights at churches. Some of them were just me, you know, acoustic shows. And those are fun also. Um, leading worship at a ton of of churches of various size. Man, it's just been, it's been a huge blessing. I, by June 4th this year, I will played more shows than I did all of last year. Wow. So it feels like that God is beginning to, you know, do something with this. And, um, and that feels, that feels good and, and exciting and, and, uh, and a really good relationship has happened. Really good worship has happened. So it's been, man, it's been an amazing experience. It is not what I ch- would have chosen for myself. Yeah. Um, I thought that when I went to Rocky, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, seven or eight years ago that that was the end of my touring days for good. Right. Um, but God had other plans so yeah. here we are
1: man that's awesome I love I love how you've uh, and I'm sure you're still figuring it out but I love how you how you've taken a step into trying to navigate that performer singer-songwriter while making it a ministry and real quick what's give people um, give people the name of your new album just came out and where they could find it
3: yeah, uh, my new album is called A Modern Liturgy, um, and it's uh, currently just at my website chrisslide.org. Um, it'll be on iTunes eventually. It'll probably be hit iTunes in July. Um, I always try to give it a couple of months so that people can buy it on tour without you know without iTunes. Right. But eventually, it'll be on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff.
1: Thanks to Chris Sly for spending a little time with us today, and thank you for listening in. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode, and we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes as well. Until next time.